Welcome to What We Give, a podcast that highlights the remarkable ways people are contributing to our community. I'm John McKay, the Member of Parliament for Scarborough Guildwood. Today, my guest is Uchu Sawyers, the Executive Director of the Boys and Girls Club of East Scarborough. She's an internationally recognized food and social justice expert, land steward, and educator. She was born and raised here in East Scarborough, which makes her a saint of the universe. In addition to being a full-time executive director, Rucha and her family raise organic food, sheep, goats, and other animals on an 80-acre farm north of Toronto. Here's my conversation with this remarkable woman, Rucha Sawyers. You were born in Scarborough. That's right. Born in Scarborough General, 8th floor, 1977. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in June, well, June, yeah. June. June, okay. Well, we're getting all the details. My goodness. And where did you live in Scarborough? So I grew up actually at Markham and Eglinton. My first school was Mason Road. Um, I left Mason Road, uh, I think, in grade one to go to William Treadway. And I went to Treadway, French Immersion, all the way up. Uh, um, into high school, went to high school in Scarborough. Which high school? I went to, I actually ended up, we ended up moving uh, further east, so I went to Midland for uh, many years before it turned into its new incarnation. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember we, we would play basketball against uh, Midland and Cedarbury and all those sort of stuff. That's right. That's um, I played for West Hill, and then I played for Laurier. Okay. I was uh, I was uh, I was at West Hill oh, quite a number of uh, years ago now, and I was watching the kids practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would make that team. <laughs> <laughs> My dad actually went to West Hill when they first moved from Jamaica. He was, I think, like the only black student at the school in the. That would have been like 1968 uh, when they first came, and then um, he was a basketball. You know, he went all the way to uh, U of T playing basketball. Um, coming out of West Hill back in the 70s. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> so he, I, I hate to admit it, but he would be uh, actually at West Hill after I had left <laughs> West Hill. <clears throat> okay, Richard, that's, this, this, this interview is not going well. Uh, yeah. For you, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all good. You so, know. so you would actually know that at the time, well, no, you wouldn't know, but your dad would know mm-hmm. that at the time, um, uh, Morningside Avenue was a rural street. That's right. Uh, My grandparents had uh, their first home um, in Canada was on Old Kingston Road. So I right. remember coming there as a child and it was like farm, like it was a far rural. It seemed rural to us, uh, you know, coming from Markham and Eglinton. So yeah. I remember, you know, uh, when it wasn't as developed. <laughs> well, well, my parents were market gardeners on Morningside Avenue. Okay. We had 14 acres on uh, uh, down by the lake, uh, not far from uh, the East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club. And I, I noticed that you, uh, I assume you and your husband, yeah. are um, farming 80 acres. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> They describe it as a hobby farm. Who are we kidding here? 80 acres is a serious farm. Tell us about it. We steward 80 acres, but we actually farm about two acres a year. Um, And we do just organic produce. I'm coming 
to um, East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club from spending about nine years in the food equity movement. So uh, very, very passionate about um, food access and making sure our communities have access to fresh, healthy and nutrient dense food. And when it came time for us to make the big leap into home ownership, we actually decided instead of moving, you know, we were actually considering moving to Markham. Um, why don't we just take the leap and um, go for our big goal, which was to own a, a small hobby farm of our own for our, our children, our family. And we did it about this is our, this April is eight years that we've been living out there. You know, where, where is up there? So I'm in Kirkfield. Um, I don't know. Kirkfield if, up? Yeah, That's it, in Peterborough, isn't it? No, no, it's in, uh, it's just about uh, 15, 20 minutes east of Beaverton, if you know uh, Beaverton. Off of the I street. know, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. On the Trent Canal system. That's right, I'm right, I'm, I'm right off of the number two um, lift lock. Okay, <laughs> highway, highway 48. That's right, you take the Markham Road all the way up, it turns into Highway 48, I always And, and you, you do that commute on a daily basis? Well, I do. You know, when I lived in in Toronto, we lived uh, just just in, on the cusp of Malvern, so we were at Shepherd and Markham Road, and I was working downtown at Dufferin and Bloor. It'd take me two hours to get to work, and I was taking a bus, the RT, a train, and then another bus. So, yeah, yeah. You know, at that time, moving up there right now it takes me about an hour. Like it, when we finish up, I have some stuff to do. So by the time I leave here, I probably take maybe an hour twenty minutes. Uh, yeah. Uh, drive so i think now they're saying that's called commutable <laughs> <laughs> well uh I, I could talk about farming and talk about this for but i, I noticed because uh, we drive along um highway 48 quite frequently okay. that that is actually an area that's really opening up for agriculture because the land is so rich it is it, ontario yeah. is the best land in canada they say like yeah. as far yeah, as that's that's, that's class one agricultural oh, yeah. land there Oh yeah, anything below the um, the shield is 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 um, you know black gold as we refer to it. So yeah, yeah. You know, they say Toronto is built on the best farmland in the country. To be yeah, it's it really is a shame. I know when my father market gardened on Morningside Avenue, that that loam was just absolutely lovely. Beautiful. Well, I didn't intend that this become an agricultural <laughs> discussion. <laughs> my oh, goodness, no, you, you do have a day job, I'm told. <laughs> Well, it's a great segue into what we've been doing here, you know, like uh, say for the last seven weeks, we've full, gone full blown into food, emergency food services. So mm. I'm not sure if you're aware, but our club has been um, providing um, a range of um, food services for the local community that's only seems to be doubling, uh, you know, um, every week. Now, what does food services mean? What are you What are you doing in that? So, what we're doing is uh, we have a, some families that are a list of families that have been um, receiving our family food uh, family food meal kits. Um, they're like a hamper style um, that uh, of uh, aggregation of food that's put together. So, some fresh produce, some uh, you know dairy grains, just a, a, a mix of um, different grocery produce. A product so that it takes a bit of a um, ease off of them financially, especially most a lot of our families have been heavily impacted by the um, the by COVID nineteen and just like all of the um, unfortunate challenges that come when you look at the social you know social economic yeah, yeah. so we have about five hundred families maybe just over 
that are receiving um, twice a week uh, hampers or the family meal kits uh, that are delivered directly to their home. Uh, we also are providing uh, 200 and just over 200, uh, or sorry, 2,500, so 2,500 meals weekly that are going individual prepared meals that are going out to uh, families, youth, uh, individuals, uh, some, a lot of seniors in the local community who are, uh, have developed, you know, just a paranoia about even going outside because they feel, yeah. you know, the highest risk. We've right. also, you know, with the support of the city and um, the province and, and um, some additional funding coming in from the federal government have been able to provide ride shares to help a lot of our um, um, isolated seniors get to appointments and not worry about having to, you know, get on um, public spaces that they may still have some um, re uh, reservations about. So, you know, we also are doing a Friday free lunch at the club. And last week we served just under 700 uh, meals. Uh, so that's people driving in, uh, drive by, kind of like your drive-through window. They, re they can ask for either vegetarian or um, a uh, meat protein. And we also have families and individuals that can walk in as well. Wow. And so we've been doing that um, with the support of um, uh, President's Choice Children's Charity uh, for the last four weeks. And it's been pretty, pretty successful. Were, were you doing this all prior to COVID? No. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. So you've ramped from zero to this that's right. in the course of 10 weeks or so. That's right. The, the reality is that, you know, we did an assessment uh, during the March break when we started to see, you know, we started to look at other countries and just how they were recovering and just the countries that were hit before us and um, looking at the time span um, that they were um, processing in. And we realized at that time we were looking at about four to six weeks at that time. So we did a needs assessment in the local community and food came out paramount as the number one mm -hmm. concern. And so we looked at how, you know, we could um, scale up some of the services that we were offering. So we've always done meal services, but we did them for after school programs and our, our licensed childcare and our early on services. Um, we always did hampers, but we did them once a year. We actually scaled up last year to twice a year. So we, instead of just doing them during the winter time, winter holidays, we decided to do them at Thanksgiving as well. So we were looking forward to planning and we always thought that was so much to plan. Um, but in this short period of time, I think, you know, the, I think a combination of my experience in, um, um, the food world, like the food access world, and then just a phenomenal team that we work with here, we were able to mobilize and transition our space so that it was effective um, to meet the needs of the local community. Yeah, less basketball and more food is what it boils down to. <laughs> that's that it? it, that's it. Yeah, that's oh it. my mean, goodness. A lot of children, you know, the reality is that our space, naturally, we feed in our after-school programs, our youth programs, we always provide meals. And a lot of those meals uh, are for some of these children uh, um, and youth are the only meals that they're gonna eat for the evening. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that and then knowing that there were additional strains and impacts on families, we, we decided, uh, you know, the, what we could do was use our strength within our sector to um, pull and aggregate the, the needs for the local community around 
food access. And we also are doing stuff. We've even now been given pet food. So we have dog food and cat food that's going out um, to, to homeowners, especially our seniors. Um, people wow. are not considering that a lot of seniors are not um, online. They are not, they're, they're still, uh, you know, a lot of mental, mental unrest about what, you know, in, getting contracting COVID period. So mm -hmm. you'd be so surprised that um, uh, some folks have still not even left, you know, their front porch. So a yeah. lot of times there's a whole, you know, there's a rippling effect on these services because our staff may be the only people that they talk to for the week, you know, yeah. or that they engage with in the week. And I was, yeah, I was up to um, UTSC uh, two, three weeks ago now. Okay. And Global Medic was, uh, with the help of UTSC volunteers, was were organizing uh, these um, lentils. Yes. Um, and um, I don't know, have you been able to take advantage of that? Yes, program? yes. So we have a strong partnership with them. And we have leveraged every partnership that we have in the community <laughs> yeah. um, to ensure that we are getting, um, every week, our coffers are full to get out to the local community. So yes, we were benefit, we benefited from um, UTSC, which has been a phenomenal partner in so many ways. Um, City of Toronto, the South, uh, South Scarborough cluster coordinators have been doing a phenomenal job of getting, um, you know, resources to us, uh, PPE for our staff. You know, United Way has also just been um, just amazing and real great partners. Uh, like I said, you know, the President's Choice um, Children's Charity, uh, just allowing us to um, really take you know, the, the reins and run with what the needs are with the, uh, for the local community without too many restraints. Understanding that we have been serving this community since 1968 and we have a long standing relationship. We understand and know the community in a way that not, you know, many agencies just may not. You no, know, I, I agree with that. Ever since I've been a politician for what, 23 years now, mm -hmm. um, the uh, East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club has been the kind of the go-to organization in in the community, um, right. your yeah. your immediate predecessor, Ron Rock, was just a tremendous guy. And, yeah. Uh, so if okay. you if you um, if you pull out a, a magic ball or something like that, and you look at post COVID, assuming yeah. there is a post COVID, that's <laughs> another issue. Yeah. Um, how will you? How will East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club? do business, we'll, we'll, for argument's sake, say this time next year, what do you see as East Scarborough doing um, if, if in fact, uh, there is either a vaccine or the, the pandemic has receded to the point where life is relatively normal? Well, I think for us, um, uh, we, we, we identify different gaps and needs through COVID. We understand deeper a lot of the underlying disparities that exist. Uh, part of our strategic plan for this year was to look at how we can strategically approach um, some of those areas of need. And I think COVID has forced us to really uh, respond and um, rise to the occasion around those things. So in addition to what we already do, you know, with we serve about 6,800 even more uh, individuals annually um, this, you know, as you know, I think I shared with you, we're actually closing this week, our youth center. So we, um, expanded to have a standalone youth center at, um, 62 Orchard. Mm. Um, 
that youth center will be in full operation. We are, we have um, been successful in getting services for youth around youth employment from the city of Toronto. So there'll be a youth employment center there, an arts this center. Is, this is the one in the church, isn't it? That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Previously, it, what what is now West Hill United Church will be yeah. um, this, you know, youth innovation space. And the wonderful thing is about how, at least my personal approach is always to look for the win-win. So West Hill will still continue, the church itself, will still continue to have access to the space on Sundays for um, their their congregational needs. And in, you know, for uh, outside of that, we will be putting on a, you know, developing a full um, youth hub at that site. So mm -hmm. post-COVID, even if COVID continues, we yeah. are, already have plans in play. You know, the, the employment center is actually launched last week virtually. Um, and um, in stage two of the recovery, we plan to start going into person-to-person um, um, -person, um, support. Of course, my, looking at social distancing and being mindful of that. Um, we do look at, you know, one of the things that we've been reflecting on at the board level is that we've now decided to expand our um, emergency food programs till December, recognizing that even if we do recover in the fall, families are catching up, you know, mm -hmm. individuals are catching up. And the, right. the, the um, food needs are still going to be, you know, tremendous into probably early next year. Um, so, you know, we decided a couple months ago um, at the board that we would ex uh, continue our programs um, into December. And now we're discussing looking at, you know, this is this. So East Scarborough, in particular, KGO West Hill has been, you know, previous to my time here, I worked very closely with this food strategy out of the city of Toronto, um, the ministry of uh, the public health um, air department. And um, we did a lot of mapping over the years of um, where are the most food, you know, highest population of food deserts, highest populations of food disparities. And you'd be, you know, you would know, but a lot of people across the city would be surprised to know that we have the highest, um, you know, the highest population of individuals with diabetes are in this. You know. Right, right. Well, as I was talking about this very subject with um, Liz Buller. Um, and yeah. the, uni the unique health needs of the um, of the uh, Scarborough uh, population. Uh, That's right. And That's part right. part is driven by um, genetics, but in part <laughs> it's also driven by social economic food. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I um, would dearly love to carry on this part of the conversation, but I I can't let you uh, go without some reflection from you on uh, the um, recent turmoil mm -hmm. um, in both south of the border and here. Mm -hmm. um, you are um, an activist. You are obviously uh, uh, you know, a person that cares deeply about social justice. Mm -hmm. um, I dare say that um, you have some uh, reflections uh, that um, uh, would be, I think, uh, very useful to hear um, on what's going on and how, how we're uh, responding and where do we move? So I'd be interested in your thoughts. Thank you for um, asking me to share that. I mean, realistically, you know, obviously as a black woman, <laughs> you know, there's a personal perspective as a black executive in the nonprofit sector, there's a whole professional perspective. 
And I think the most important one is as a parent, you know, I'm the mother of five children. I have three sons, you know, who, um, two of which are, are, are men now. They're, they're 22 and 20, uh, 22 and 20. Um, then the youngest- let, 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 let me get this straight. You've got five kids I do. and a husband <laughs> and a farm you're running and you're running this thing. That's why we need a farm, John. I, I, so I, I know that there's, generally speaking, there's only 24 hours in a day. Have you figured this out? Yeah, I mean, no, I don't know how you handle it. My older guys, they live downtown now. They're big. They, they're they're at, uh, one is at Ryerson and the other is at a York, joint program with York. Yeah. Uh, so they, he, they're downtown together. So we really have the, what we call the bottom three. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, I, I shouldn't have interrupted you because no, no, I know you're no. very concerned about your boys. No. Um, and of course, you know, very uh, part of the reason why we made the choices that we made was to have to provide to, with, for our children an alternative experience um, to what, you know, they would have been um, fed, you know, in the institutions um, that, um, you know, they take part in and that, you know, what they would see. Um, in the environments of where, where, you know, we were living at the time. I think that right now, socially, consciously, you know, we're at a, we're at a paradigm shift around how we're actually going to act. I think there's been, I mean, you look historically from the 60s, 50s, there have been marches, there's been protests. But I think this is a generation that is about accountability and an emerging generation behind them that... Um, are even more so, um, you know, going to take account of how we actually turn the protests into change. And, um, you know, we're seeing even a shift in the diversity of who's at the table calling for change, which is a, a very important thing. We talk about allyship, we talk about, um, you know, uh, all of these various um, strategies to, to bring um, the issues to the table. But the reality is that this is an issue, uh, racism is a social construct. And if we don't deconstruct, you know, this narrative from the very root as a collective community, um, meaning all peoples from all races, so-called races, <laughs> we can get into yeah. that, but races, um, genders, um, any walk of life, then we're not ever going to effectively dismantle, you know, and then rebuild something that is, um, um, that is truly purposeful and, and um, successful. And so what I think we're seeing right now, um, when you ask about, you know, my response, you know, we put out, we put out a, a statement as a club that we will do our best, not even do our best, we will make it a priority um, for our staff to be accountable um, to how they interact, you know, how they take, you know, how they develop their person um, so that they are effectively representing the club and all of our um, our mandates uh, around being, you know, equitable. It's not okay anymore to just have it uh, written down and check the mark. You actually have to walk walk the walk and talk the talk. And I think the like I said, the generations, um, my generation, I think the generations that come after me are very much um, looking for accountability. So mm -hmm. if this is what you say. The world is then show me that um, on your day-to-day -day walk and um, personally I'm very proud um, to see you know just you know a lot of how the 
the youth, uh, and not just youth, it is really cross-generational, but really see how uh, folks have been rising to the occasion. Um, for me, I'm very uh, focused on the policy pieces that are coming out of this. I'm very focused, I'm an action-oriented person. I like to see, you know, um, not just action, but outcomes. So I'm, I'm really observing and, and working with those folks who are um, outcome-oriented and looking for outcome, uh, a change as the, as the true outcome. Your, your, your argument then is that this is an inflection point mm -hmm. because there is an expectation of accountability. That's right. Um, and uh, and that's, that's an interesting observation as opposed to previous um, manifestations of anger and frustration mm -hmm. uh, that uh, enough with the talk and now, uh, now let's see where the walk goes. Um, advice. Um, I get a lot of letters, mm -hmm. a lot of angry letters. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them focus on police, uh, uh, police activities, um, and uh, and and the, there are days I just don't know what what how how to respond to the letters. So, um, again, if if uh, if we could uh, by some magic. Um, transform me f into the good-looking Justin Trudeau <laughs> um, what would what would be your uh, what would be your advice to him as to um, how to how to approach this I, uh, again I, you know it's a simple statement of change begins with me you know like yeah. I, I think it's very important um, you know when we take that lens on how we approach change I can't change you. I can't change the world if I don't change myself. Mm. And in changing myself, I see the importance of working on my individual person, evolving my social consciousness around if, you know, if I'm Justin Trudeau, my privilege, um, you know, my power and my ability to make decisions. Um, and what does that really mean? And I mean, um, you know, I could never um, even completely grasp at his level of, of decision making, you know, how you would go about, you know, making things as equitable as possible when you still have a framework that sometimes holds a lot of these inequities in place. It's a lot of work, you know. Um, with my team here and any team that I work with, I, I always look at, um, we start from the inside out, you know, it's not just checking the boxes, it's looking at um, how do we de design our structure? How do we um, put guard dogs in or put fail safes in place so that if we do falter, we have mechanisms in place to catch that, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Um, with, you know, looking at, we've restructured our, our policies within the organization to reflect, you know, the needs of the local community. It, now in our bylaws, it says that, you know, uh, our board has to have indigenous representation, at least one seat or more on the board of directors. So it's not just uh, um, a, a goal of ours as a, as a board of directors to try and do that. We've made it a part of our mandate and making, and that's a way of us being accountable to ensuring that we have the proper reflection of the community um, um, as our cross, you know, um, cross reflection in our in our very governance of the organization 
And, you know, you have to really do an assessment. Like the, when we look at the history of policing, you know, we can go all the way back to where communities, your police officers lived up, to, up the street from you, right? Right. Um, right. They, they were part of your community. A lot of the officers, you know, that work in Toronto don't even live in Toronto. And worse, they don't live in the communities that they serve. So there's such a disconnect. And I'm not saying, you know, that's the one brush stroke, but we've really evolved, you know, the original uh, intention of, um, you know, this, this segment of society. And if we've evolved it, fine, but then you have to put in the pieces that still allow for accountability and the community has to sit, have a say in what that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I sometimes think um, that, well, a police issue is uh, extraordinarily important, and is, if you will, the presenting issue mm -hmm. uh, th that we go down a bit of a rabbit hole um, yeah. on that. Uh, that really the larger issue is looking in the mirror That's and right. saying, "Okay, I can deal with me, mm -hmm. um, and I should deal with me," um, but uh, that's hard work yeah. um, because. You know, I am who I am, and you are who you are, um, and um, and that uh, that is um, well. That's you know, since I have an illusion of being perfect, this is very very difficult. Well, this, is, this is why you do it in a framework of a collective. So when we're looking yeah. at an organization, you know, uh, we just went through. You know, every year, uh, quarterly, we have anti-oppression training. You know, uh, mm. and it's not just training. There's activities, we actually added it to our performance development for all staff within the organization. So every year, quarterly, there's going to be a conversation about your personal development needs around anti-oppression, uh, you know, uh, around anti-racism, around, you know, uh, it, all of the different isms, you know, that, that exist yeah. as part of your um, performance development. And, you know, I think we have to go as deep as these different um, uh, tools that we use to manage and ensure that they are reflecting our positions as organizations, as leaders within the community. Uh, because, again, if you can't, um, you can't effectively serve the community, then, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it, it's a stalemate, right? Yeah. You're not, you know, and... I think ultimately the goal should be looking at how we can dismantle a lot of the um, the um, the various pieces that are holding a lot of this disgruntled um, um, response in place, and come for more of a collective approach. So include community thoughts and and feelings and and their ideas around how to hold you know, hold the, these governing spaces accountable. And I think you'll see a shift in the letters that you get, you know? Because well, I, 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 hope that, I hope that's true. Um, yes. And it may be true over time. Yeah, over time. Um, yeah. It's um, been a long time that we've been in one way, so it's going to take a long time to get back. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, we're going to have to, unfortunately, leave it there. Um, yeah. I always think that it's a good idea to um, to leave it there when we have wise words from a wise woman. Um, and um, it's, it's very kind of you to make this time available. Uh, but I can't actually uh, end this without asking uh, the name Ucha. Yes. Where, where, uh, that's a, 
how should we say, unique name. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure there's a unique story behind it. So what's the uh, unique story about the unique name? So it's a, it's a, a East African name, uh, and it's actually Utra short for Utra Sharimra. And, um, you know, my, it's my culture, my family, my spiritual tradition, we're given, um, you know, a spiritual name um, that is a name of meaning um, and a name, a name of meaning, but also a name of power. So every time you say it, it helps to build my life. So the meaning Utra, uh, Utra Sharimra means she who um, submits to divine law to nurture and strengthen her life. And, um, you know, it's very important from the culture that I'm from that, um, you know, your names have power, words have power, and that when you um, give a child a name or when a child is born and they're given a name or when they come into tradition and they're given a name, um, that the name um, reflects their destiny in life and what they're, they're here to um, really accomplish. So they're... Right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, well, that's a, that's a great great. I I had this uh, conversation about uh, with Wisdom Teddy, uh, the yes. principal at UTSC. Yes. And, you know, how do you get the name Wisdom? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, and uh, in an interesting sort of way, mm -hmm. uh, the name reflects the person. The person reflects the name. That's right. So. Um, uh that, that that that's uh you've just given a kind of an interesting insight into who you are by oh. virtue of your name thank you so uh again um now that i'm having said that we're going to leave the conversation that we really are going to leave the conversation well, thank uh, my, you so much thank you and your team um i you know we're so grateful to have a wonderful relationship with you and um thank you for inviting us you know to share uh, inviting me to share what we are doing collectively here at um, uh, East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club. Well, thanks so much, Ucha. Thanks for listening to What We Give. I'm John McKay. This podcast was produced by Amanda Capito with support from Leila Sharif and Anessa DeAngelis. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to What We Give on your favorite podcast player. Leave us a review, tell a friend, and help us beat the algorithm.